You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Good morning and welcome to the Dean's Class. This morning we have a special class that happens annually, and that is the Confirmands get to ask me any questions that they would like. And so they've submitted those beforehand to Tucker Fleming, who's on our youth ministry staff, and he'll be interviewing me this morning uh, with your questions, sixth grade confirmands. I I do want to say a word to you, sixth graders who are listening in uh, or watching, uh, is first let me say how sorry I am uh, that we're not able to have the confirmation service Uh, This Wednesday is planned, uh, but uh, it's not been canceled, it's been postponed, and we look forward uh, to gathering together with you and hearing you declare your faith publicly to the congregation uh, of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So God bless you, know that I'm praying for you, and uh, I miss having you here. Uh, It's one of my favorite classes that I do, and uh, the best part is being able to see you and to interact with you, and so I'm a little bit bummed, uh, to say the least, that you're not with us this morning. Uh, but hopefully uh, this class is a blessing to you and that we're able to answer your questions. If I don't answer your question, you're always able to email me at andrew at cathedraladvent.com or org. What is it? It's com, I think. Cathedraladvent.com. Uh, you're, I, I do know my email address, uh, <laughs> but, but you're, willing, you're, you're uh, very welcome to email me. But before we go any uh, further, let's have a word of prayer. Oh God, we do pray that you would visit us this morning and help lead us in uh, discerning your truth and answering those questions uh, that impact our relationship with you. And so lead us and guide us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we can get right to it. So the first question from our confirmands is, how did they recover the books of the Bible and who put it together? Right, so you're not going to go in order. <laughs> oh, this is the one that I've got. Okay. No, 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 no. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's fine. I want you to know that I do my homework for y'all, and um, in that I didn't want to just, um, just uh, shoot from the hip, but wanted to do a little bit of research on the questions that you asked. Um, how did they recover the books of the Bible, and who put it together? Well, in a simple way, uh, God put it together. Uh, The books of the Bible uh, were written over uh, a very long period of time, uh, obviously beginning with the Old Testament. Uh, They are uh, kind of, uh, but not really, in chronological order. Uh, And uh, all along, one of the things that gave these books... Uh, authority is that they were accepted by the community of faith. And so when you watch National Geographic or you read an article online that says that they found some sort of lost gospel of Judas or something like that, and there's a conspiracy that the church squashed it, um, well, yes, it was, of course, squashed, uh, but that's because it It was not uh, the Word of God because it was inconsistent with those books that were received. And so, uh, through prayer and discernment, uh, the church received uh, those books as as a faithful record of of God's Word uh, to His people. And uh, 
that's, that's what we have today, and, and that's why the canon is closed. There, there's, after Jesus, there's no further revelation. Uh, all is yes and amen in Him, and so if people come along now, whether that be the Mormons or other people who say, well, there's, there's a new thing that Jesus is saying, or even not just the Mormons. I mean, there are people in, in the Christian church sure. today that will say, yeah. well, God is doing something different or speaking differently now, right. and that would be over and against the testimony of God's Word than than like those false gospels of Judas or the infant gospel of Thomas, um, although they may be interesting to read or to hear about, should be discarded. Sure, yeah. And you can add to that if no, you No, no, I, I think I'd just echo everything you said. Like, Well, that's nice. Yeah, we had to read the gospel of Thomas in college, and it was yeah. like, it's so obvious that this is something completely different. Yeah, so Jesus and, making... Uh, clay birds and, and bring yeah. them to life. Uh, I think there's one where he kills a bear or something. Yeah, like yeah, something about making Mary a man so she could be saved. Right. Stuff yeah. like that. Um, yeah, it just doesn't hold up. Right. And so, I mean, so people, I mean, it was, people would read those things uh, in, uh, in the, you know, second, third century sure. and say, yeah, that's not true. Right. And of course, so many, uh, you know, those things that come, you, you had, uh, the written testimony of, of people who were with Jesus and around Jesus, and when it didn't square with that, it was pretty clear that it, it, it wasn't God's Word. Yeah. Awesome. That's helpful. Um, so the next question, which I imagine will be closer to the one I just asked in your notes, uh, when did they carry Jesus back to the tomb? After he died. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, well, I get, we should probably open our Bibles, huh? Um, that um, if you, uh, I think that that's one of the big things is that what I hope is that in these questions, uh, you yourself are willing uh, to, um, uh, willing to uh, look into the Bible because the answers by and large are, are there. Yeah. And I don't want to just equip you with a lot of information. I want to encourage you uh, to dig into, into God's Word. Yeah. And so, um, John chapter 19, verse 38. After these things, that is Jesus' death, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen cloths and spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews." Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. And so after he died, Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate and said, I'd like to take his body. He took possession of his body. They prepared the body for burial, and in the vicinity of where Jesus was was crucified, there Jesus was buried. Awesome. John chapter 19. Great. Um, next question. How do you know the Bible is true? How do I know that the Bible is true? Um, this is a really good question um, because as you grapple with God's Word, it, it also tends to grapple with you. You know, you begin to struggle and, and, and yeah. to, to try to uh, discern um, God speaking to you by His Word. And I think that 
that is indicative of what the answer is. Mm-hmm. And that is that I, I, I think that the only way that you're going to know that the Bible is true is through the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I can remember, especially in college, when I would think about this a lot, and I would hear someone give a talk on uh, why um, the Bible is trustworthy and true, and all of these great arguments would be made, and then two weeks later, I'd forgotten every single one of them. Right, right, yeah. And the only thing that really has confirmed for me that the Bible is true, of course, there's plenty of historical evidence um, and, and eyewitness uh, testimony that the things that happened in the Bible uh, are true, uh, but, but the only proof that I found to be true is that, um, is that God speaks to you in your heart uh, that this is my word and I want you to obey it. Um, and I think that sometimes, too, we kind of become Western-centric sure. in the way that we think about this. Yeah. So you might have this great argument as to why the Bible is true, uh, but what about those who live outside of the Western hemisphere, by and large, and have no sense of history, uh, reason, logic, or even metaphysics? Sure. Like those are concepts that they just don't understand. How can the most educated person in the world know that the Bible is true and the least educated person in the world know that the Bible is true? It it can't be just an intellectual, logical argument. I actually wrote a great little quote uh, down from uh, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, when he was between, after he got thrown out of one church, uh, he was in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, ministering at another church. And while he was there, he was a missionary to the Indians. Yeah. And this is, the, uh, this is what Edwards said about ministering uh, to the Indians. Miserable is the condition of the Housatonic Indians and others who have lately manifested a desire to be instructed in Christianity. If they can come at no evidence of the truth of Christianity, sufficient to induce them to sell all for Christ in any other way but this path of historical reasoning then they're lost. Thus a soul may have a kind of intuitive knowledge of the divinity of the things exhibited in the gospel, not that he indulges the doctrines of the gospel to be from God, without any argument or deduction at all, but it is without any long chain of arguments. The argument is but one, and the evidence direct. The mind ascends to the truth of the gospel but by one step, and that, it's, and that, it is, and that is its divine glory." And so, God has revealed Himself in His Word and has proclaimed it to be His Word and our trust in our response to trust and obey. And so, if you're looking for some sort of intellectual argument, is what Edwards is saying, that when you're ministering to people, regardless of whether the, the Housatonic Indians in New England in the uh, 1700s or whether it's uh, on the campus of Harvard University, which is not all that far from where Edwards sure. ministered, uh, it, it's, it's still one and the same, that you're not going to come to a place of really being able to trust that the Bible is true until you put your faith in Christ and His Spirit ministers and speaks to your spirit. Now, I, I do think that um, uh, a great response is, is Jesus' interaction with the man who had the demon-possessed child 
And when Jesus uh, told him that this child was going to be healed, his response was, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Yeah. And, and so when we disagree with the Bible, which I think may be a part of the question, sure. um, how do I know the Bible is true because it's saying something I don't like yeah. or I disagree with or the cultural pressure that I'm experiencing is yeah, more than I can handle? Yeah, definitely. Um, when, when we say, well, I'm not so sure I can believe that, it, I think that that means that we begin to think that we know better than God. Right. So it's trust and obey, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Yeah. But a testimony ultimately of God's Spirit speaking into your heart, this is a trustworthy saying and worthy of all men to be received. Yeah. I think the distinction that you've made between intellectual arguments that might make you feel better about whether or not certain events that are recorded in the Bible actually happened um, and this sort of internal witness of the Holy Spirit, as you called it, is... It's really important, right, because you can have knowledge, this like objective head knowledge of these arguments, and it won't change your life at all. You know, when you experience some tragedy or when you feel hopeless, <laughs> or when you're lonely because you're locked in the house in the middle of a global pandemic, that knowledge isn't always so helpful. Right. But this internal heart level gut knowledge of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word um, and his love for you is, is a lot of times a lot more helpful in a devotional right. sense. So that's good. Um, next question. Was there technically sin before Adam and Eve because Satan sinned by tricking them? Technically, yes. Yeah. Uh, technically, yes. I've got a, a little, I've got a lot of little quotes. Uh, <laughs> Herman uh, uh, Bavink, uh, ba- is that how you Bavink. Pre- Bavink? Yep. Bavink, he's Dutch. That's right. He's Dutch. Those are my people. Uh, I've, I've, read, I've read his stuff before, but... Uh, Normally, when I see a name that I don't know how to pronounce, I just never say it. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, old Herm uh, said this. Uh, Sin did not start on earth, but in heaven with the revolt of spiritual beings. In the case of humanity, the temptation by Satan resulted in the fall. Scripture looks for the origin of sin solely in the will of rational creatures. And so technically there was sin, but Adam and Eve weren't affected by it yeah. uh, at, that, at that point. And uh, Eden was, was a real place on earth. Sure. It, it, it wasn't a, a, a spiritual right. uh, place. Right, up in the sky somewhere. If I could say that, yeah. yeah. Um, but, the, but sin began uh, in the will of rational creatures, sure. meaning angelic beings, when they fell from heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sin was there, but Adam and Eve had not yet succumbed to it and uh, were not victims of it until they actually fell. Yeah. Cool. Um, is heaven a real place you go to? Yes. So uh, qualifying my answer before. Sure. Yeah. Good. Uh, that I said in the last thing. Yeah, heaven is a real place. Uh, heaven is a place... Uh, that is um, not your final place as a Christian. And so your body is separated uh, from your spirit. Uh, Your body will be in the ground, or if you're cremated, will be scattered someplace Mm -hmm. um, or inurned someplace. (laughs) And uh, your spirit will, will be with the Lord Jesus in heaven. But ultimately, history is moving toward a new heaven and a new earth, a yeah. new Jerusalem, 
And uh, our spirits on that day when uh, Jesus returns will be reunited with our bodies, we'll get up out of the ground, um, we'll have resurrected bodies in the way that Jesus had a resurrected body, and, um, and we will dwell in this new Jerusalem with Him uh, for eternity. Um, so that even though it's not necessarily a physical place, heaven is just as real, uh, if not more of a reality yeah. than even what we're living in right now. Yeah. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that we're living in the shadow lands. Yeah. And I think that, that, that when we're in heaven, everything will be revealed and, and we won't be dwelling in the shadows anymore. We'll see things as they are. And yet, the true reality is yet to come. Yeah, that's a great, great point, I think, especially because a lot of us have probably grown up in a Christianity that sees this like sort of spiritual cloud world of heaven as the finish line, yes. but in, in reality, we're pushing on to something even more glorious. Yeah, and it's, it's very difficult to talk about this. I'm glad we can talk about it now because in the, in the context of tragedy, when yeah. we lose a loved one, when they die, you know, you don't want to be so precise as to upset the people who are grieving. Sure. And uh, so I often hear things that uh, have no foundation scripturally, like, well, heaven has gained another angel. Right. They got no. their wings. Yeah, they got yeah. their wings. Like we're all up there with harps. Sure, you know, sure. On a cloud. And, um, and as nice as the picture as that is, actually, we don't become angels when we go to heaven. What we have is so much better than the angels. Yeah. Um, to, to become an angel in heaven is a demotion. Yeah, uh, because we can, we have a relationship and the opportunity for a relationship with God that angels don't. Yeah, and so um, they're they're, you know, we we are who we are when we get to heaven. We don't cease being ourselves. Yeah, uh, we don't graduate or or turn into something that we're not, like an angel. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, when you get to heaven, you'll see you'll see angels. Yeah. of course, of course, you will. Um, but but that's a different created being than than human beings. Yeah, awesome. Do you recognize people in heaven? On a related note, uh, I think maybe so. Yeah. Now that's one of the things that that you should really think uh, about is that that there are areas of the Bible which are very clear. And then there are, very, there are areas of the Bible which are unclear. And the willingness to say, I'm not really certain about that because the Bible's not certain about yeah. that. However, there are some things like whether or not we'll recognize people in heaven uh, that I think the Bible does give us some uh, hints at. Um, one of those is, and I've, I've already uh, referenced it, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 12 when Paul writes, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And so, if, if we're able to see fully and to be given all knowledge, it stands to reason that you actually are going to be able to identify people in heaven. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two other biblical examples, uh, one uh, a little bit depressing, uh, the story of Lazarus and Dives. Mm -hmm. Jesus tells the story of two men, a rich man who actually doesn't have a name, we just call him Dives, and Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus 
for all intents and purposes, is in heaven. Uh, Davies is in hell. And they are able to recognize one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another biblical uh, example of this would be the transfiguration. Yeah. So when Jesus is transfigured, there's Moses and Elijah, and they're recognized. Yeah. Um, they're recognized. Not like in our stained glass window. Sure. Uh, that uh, the only way we can recognize them, it, I don't think Elijah was holding a raven or Moses was holding the Ten Commandments. Sure. Uh, but, um, but they were recognizable in some way. Right. Uh, and so I think that uh, based on that testimony, it's, it's entirely likely that we will recognize people when we get to heaven. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay, so next question about heaven. I think we got two or three more of these, which is great. Um, are you a spirit when you go to heaven? And I think this kind of ties in with what you've just mentioned about heaven and the new heavens and the new earth. Yes. Um, I, yeah. Um, uh, I mentioned that before, and I think Lazarus and Dives is a good, uh, is helpful in this too, uh, where uh, Dives wants Lazarus to go back yeah. And he can't. Uh, he's not able to go back to right. earth. Um, so, yeah, we'll be spiritual beings, but we'll have some embodiment. There'll be, yeah. and I, I think that there'll be a self-understanding uh, of, of the reality that's happening sure. around us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, it'll be a, a truer reality, if, if you can say that, than what we're even experiencing now. Yeah. Yep. Can you see earth when you go to heaven? Again, this is one of those where the Bible doesn't say, hey, you can see your, I can see my house from here. Right, right, right. Um, it doesn't say that, uh, but uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and into chapter 12 may give us an indication that you can see sure. uh, earth. Uh, Hebrews 11 is, is about this great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us. Now, I will say that primarily, yeah. primarily, it's not so much about people in heaven looking down and rooting us on. It's their testimony while they were on earth. Right, right. That's, that's what, what the author of Hebrews is, is, is pointing sure. us to. Consider them mm-hmm. or consider him, not the present reality. But even so... Uh, the author says in 12.1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Uh, the fact that he says that we're surrounded uh, gives an indication that, that you can see earth, you can mm-hmm. see what's happening here. And, and not only that, it, it's, even though, again, I think the point of 11 is more their life and witness, but the race illustration indicates that they're watching a race. They're watching something. And yeah. so if they're watching us, then yeah, they, they can see heaven. Um, but again, it seems likely that that's the case, but there, it's, I wouldn't yeah. give a definitive answer on that. For sure, for sure. I think it's probably safe to say that um, when you get to heaven, the least of your worries will be whether or not you can see Earth. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, so... With all that in mind, do animals go to heaven? Oh, gosh. This is a zinger. I, I say it happens every year, but I yeah. say this is a dog lover. Um, I, I want to spend a little bit of time on this because right now, yeah. uh, look, uh, whether you're in the sixth grade or whether you're in the 
whatever grade I'm in now. Um, like if you have pets, you become very attached. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish that I was able to love people the way my dog loves people. Yeah. <laughs> um, in fact, my grandmother had a, a prayer on her refrigerator that said, God, make me the person my dog thinks I am. <laughs> um, and, um, and, and we've got lots of animals around the house. We've got bunnies. We've got chickens. We've got ducks. We've got a cat. Yeah. We've got uh, dogs. Uh, I feel like I'm missing something. Uh, at any given moment, there's something coming into the house. Um, so I say this as an animal lover, but I really want us to be able to understand the difference between animals and human beings. So some strict scriptures that might be helpful. Uh, Psalm 32 Psalm 32, verse 9, that says, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. So the psalmist, and this happens a couple times, is saying there's a difference between human beings and animals, and in fact, it's often a judgment of you're acting like an animal which is wholly... um, over and against what you should be doing as a human being. Sure. Uh, so not just in terms of, of, of the spiritual direction of your life, but in everyday behavior as a human being, what's expected of humans. And then, of course, you look at Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 26, where we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. Mm -hmm. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Human beings are created in the image of God. Animals are not. Yeah. And there is a distinct difference between human beings and animals that's brought out in chapter 2, verse 20, when the narrative talks uh, about uh, the need for a woman. Chapter 2, verse 20, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the air, of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. An animal is never a substitute for another human being. Yeah. Uh, of course, in this context, you're talking about marriage between a man and a woman. Sure, sure. But a dog or a cat or a canary or whatever it is can't provide the kind of companionship and relational quality that another human being can. Yeah. yeah the Bible talks about, thing, about friend, a friend that sticks closer than a brawler. Yeah. Uh, the relationship between David and Jonathan. Right. Um, there's an intimacy there between human beings that simply cannot be right. between, uh, between animals. And so as, as much as we love them, um, human beings and animals are different. So that's the first point I want to make. Sure. Uh, the second, though, is that there will be animals in the new creation. Yeah. And, and I would even go so far as to say most likely there will be animals in heaven uh, or some form uh, of them. Uh, and the, where I, I get that from is um, uh, uh, Romans chapter 8. Uh, this is, um, again, I, I, I'm getting off of heaven a little bit. I'm talking about the new creation. Yeah, sure. Uh, but but I, 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 it stands yeah, yeah. to reason. So For sure. uh, chapter 8, verse 20. 
For the creation, sorry, verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so there's going to be a restoration of creation. What Paul's saying in Romans is that but creation has fallen around us. The why our pets die, yeah. why trees fall over, uh, why there are hurricanes, why there are tornadoes, is not because of them. Yeah. It, it's because of us. It's because right. of, of Adam and Eve falling that it subjected the whole creation uh, to futility. Sure. So there is going to come a day where God is going to set that to rights, that that the creation itself will be redeemed. And even now, the creation is groaning and eager longing for that day when things are set to rights. Uh, two other verses, passages I'd give to you, Isaiah 11, 6 through 9, and Isaiah 65, uh, 25, uh, all uh, speak, um, well, I'll just go to Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 11, 6 through 9. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little, cow, a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, the young shall lie down together, and then the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Mm-hmm. So this is the new creation yeah. again. And so Isaiah the prophet is saying, yeah, there are going to be animals there. Yeah. There are going to be animals there. Now, uh, I want to quote uh, John Piper here yeah. um, uh, because John Piper does a good job of talking about this, uh, but he's, he's, he's doing what I haven't done at this point, which is addressing the emotional issue. Sure. Uh, because when we start to think, well, I, I, I mean, uh, we, we, uh, one of our dogs died about a year ago, the colonel. Yeah, the colonel. And there's a problem like, well, if he's not going to be in heaven, that stinks. Yeah. That stinks, but hear what John Piper has to say, and I think he's on to something. Now, lastly, with regard to specific pets being raised from the dead, that would, I think, be pure speculation. Mm-hmm. The only biblical point that might cause you to think, to think that would be that God intends you to be fully happy with him. If the presence of that pet is essential for you to know and love God that way, I suspect he will be there. That might be what I would say to a four-year-old. On the other hand, to the 15-year-old or the 35-year-old or the 85-year-old lady who has just lost her cat, I would say it is spiritually perilous to cultivate a love for an animal that has such a prominent place in your heart that you think you need him or her for eternity. Yeah. That's good. So, um, on an immature side of it, if... To be able to, if, if you need your pet there to enjoy God fully, maybe. But if you need that pet there to enjoy yeah. God fully, then that pet has taken a disproportionate place in your life. Yeah. Emotionally and even spirit. Now it's crossover in the spiritual For sure, realm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's right on the money, especially because like, yeah, when, if and when the day comes where that pet has to be put down or whatever, like, if you have only sought your security or your solace in that pet and now it's gone, 
then you find yourself in a spiritually perilous yeah. situation. And the reality is we Piper. do. Yeah. Oh, I mean, this for is sure. Why, this is yeah. why I, I wept uncontrollably when my dog died. Oh, yeah. And, and I don't think it's wrong to love your pets. Absolutely. Of course. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I can remember I was, he was dying, and I knew he was dying. And I, I bent over him, and I said, you know, you're groaning. Yeah. You're groaning. And it's, it's, it's right. And I, I thank God that he gave you to me, yeah. Colonel. And, and I, I do love you so much. Uh, but, but you are just as aware, if not more so than I am, yeah. that there's going to come a day where this kind of stuff won't happen again. Yeah, man, that's good. And he's, wit- and, and he's witnessing yeah, to that. for sure. Yeah, that'll preach right there. Um, is there a reincarnation? No. Yep. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, there's a finality to death. Sure, yeah. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed once for man to die and then judgment. Yeah. And when I say finality, I, I don't mean that death is the final word for Christians. Sure. But what I do mean is that it's unavoidable and it's, in fact, I, there are only uh, a few people in the Bible who have had the... Um, unfortunate blessing to have to die twice. Yeah. It's bad enough to die once, but, but they've had to die twice. Yeah. Um, so whether that's Jairus's daughter. Right. Um, whether that's Lazarus, uh, and there are others, but uh, nonetheless, uh, that's, that's, that's really difficult. Yeah. But I think that more than just the Bible saying, there isn't re- reincarnation, which I think that talking about the yeah, finali- sure. finality of death and the reality of judgment squashes that. But it also undermines the grace of God. Yeah, that's good. Because reincarnation teaches that you're going to go around until you get it right. Yeah, for sure. And biblically speaking, if there's reincarnation, you're going to be going around forever because yeah. you're never going Definitely. to get it right. And so it nullifies the grace of God. In fact, I was talking to a friend of mine who, uh, who grew up uh, Hindu, and now she's nominally Hindu. Yeah. And one of the comments that she would make about Christianity is that she would say, what I don't like about Christianity is how unfair it is. Mm. I said, what do you mean by that? She said, you know, in Hinduism, you know, you, you have to work in your life in order to come back as something a little bit more elevated, right. whether that's a better caste, a better rank as a human being, mm-hmm. or as a kind of animal yeah. uh, that might be given higher status than other animals. And, um, and uh, Hinduism doesn't differentiate between human beings and animals. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, if you step on that bug, you might be step, stepping on Uncle Bill. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what she said was that, the thing about it is, is that, for Christians, if you put your trust in Jesus, you go to heaven. And for Hindus, it takes sometimes an innumerable, it seems, yeah. number of lifetimes to finally achieve nirvana. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so Christianity is unfair. It's too easy. It's too easy. So Man. the corollary of that is that, so if you do believe in reincarnation, uh, what you're saying is that actually God's grace is not enough to save me and yeah. to establish me in a right relationship with God. Yeah. And that is such a human temptation, isn't it? To try to plug works into Yeah. I don't that. think that um I you know, I don't think that reincarnation is is the doctrine that 
that has made its way in so much into American Christianity sure. from Hinduism as much as karma has. Yeah, yeah. Most most Christians believe in karma. Oh, definitely. According to, to surveys. Oh, for sure. Uh, now, they would never say... No, right. I believe, I believe in, karma. in karma. Right. But they would say, if I do something bad, God punishes me. If I do something good, God rewards me. And, um, and that... Um, and that's the way the universe works. There's yeah. this constant leveling. There's this evening out of, right. of things. And, um, but the reality is, is that you'll, you'll never keep it even. Oh, for sure. You'll never keep it even. Even, yeah. even the best of Hindus would say, yeah, if you start looking at my list, I'm coming up short pretty. on the good side. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, how do we know? what hell is like? Um, you know, if you're an Auburn football fan <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, or if you were uh, rooting for Alabama uh, uh, post-1992 right. uh, into the 2000s, uh, you, you, you get a glimpse of it. No, um, I, I shouldn't be flipping or joke about it because sure. uh, hell is, is, is a real place as heaven is a real place. Yeah. And uh, how do we um, know uh, what it's like? Um, I, I do like the way that, that this was um, the second part um, of the question was because it's described in the Bible, but we yeah. wouldn't know since the descriptions come from angels and stuff. Uh, that, that's actually really important yeah. um, because what the person is, the person who's asking the question is acknowledging that... Um, the descriptions are coming from observers we can trust. For sure. Uh, so I think that the descriptions of hell in the Bible, weeping and gnashing of teeth, uh, unquenchable fire, uh, a place of uh, eternal judgment, uh, are, um, are real. Yeah. And uh, the the this is, seems to be the, the, the core illustration I keep going back to, but it, it speaks so well to what's being asked. I think Lazarus and Dives is, is a good yeah. illustration. Jesus describing what is hell like. Yeah. And, um, and if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis based that story largely on Lazarus and Dives, especially yeah. the ability to kind of have conversations and sure. and and even even while in hell, Dives still thinks that he has authority over Lazarus, which For is sure. why he's telling the Lord, "Send Lazarus, send my la- send my lackey to yeah, to go yeah. to go do that." And so even in hell, they're not aware of the fact that they are in incredible peril, and yeah. in some ways, they'd rather be where they are. Than, than to even be in heaven. For sure. Uh, so, um, yeah, hell is, hell is not a place that you want to go, and, and hell is not where bad people go and good people go to heaven. Yeah. You know, I, I remember when I was a little boy, I was down in our basement playing with toys and came upstairs, and my mother asked me, did you clean up the playroom? And I said, yes, ma'am, I did. Well, a little bit later on, uh, I went to her and said, uh, Mama, if, if I lie, will I go to hell? And she said, absolutely. That's right. And I ran downstairs and cleaned up the place. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh, again, so right there, I believed in karma. Uh-huh. All right? That's uh, it. But uh, I, 
I understand what my mother was trying to do. She was trying to motivate me. Right. Uh, but I was more afraid of hell and less concerned with loving God and wanting to be in yeah. His presence. Yeah. And so if you're putting, if you're saying, well, I want to be a Christian to uh, avoid hell, that's a, that's a motivator. I'm sure, not, I'm yeah, not yeah. putting that down. Um, but the whole purpose is for us to be in the presence of God and to enjoy Him forever. Yeah. And, uh, and so heaven is for those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, mm-hmm. as uh, the book of Revelation tells us uh, in chapter 7. And, um, and, and for those who, ironically, as Tim Keller would put it, heaven is reserved for sinners and hell is reserved for the self-righteous. So people who put their trust in themselves, yeah. who think that they can do all right, even in eternity on their own, that's where they go. They go to hell. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I think Lewis, I think in The Great Divorce as well, makes a comment to the effect that if you're not a Christian, if you um, haven't had your heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh, right. you wouldn't like heaven anyway. Um, yeah, it's, uh, if you think about it, um, and a lot of people try to turn heaven into their ideal version right. of earth. Sure. And, and I'm not saying that there won't be great golf courses or, you know. Black diamond slopes. Right, or, or, or any of that. You know, Mark Ginolette just told me a terrible joke where he said that, um, he said two buddies uh, decided that uh, if one died before the other, the other would come back and, and tell him whether or not there's baseball in heaven. Yeah. And indeed, one of them did die, and he came back to his friend, and he said, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is there's baseball in heaven. The bad news is you're pitching on Friday. <laughs> now, there's a lot of theological problems with sure, that. Sure, yeah. Uh, if for any other reason, you know, for us as Christians, it wouldn't be bad news. Yeah. To know that we'll be in the presence in the presence of God. And when we get there, we're not looking so much, we're not looking forward so much to baseball as we are to enjoying God's presence. And so if you hate worship services here on earth, and believe me, I've been in some that feel sure. like hell. Right. Uh, I've been in some. But I mean where God's spirit is really present, mm-hmm. then you're going to hate heaven. Yeah. You'll hate it. For sure. Yeah. Um, next question. Where do the dinosaurs and Pangea fit in? Uh, you know, um, dinosaurs are real. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, the, the idea of the continents all being one mega continent at, at one point in time, um, it, it, all of that doesn't undermine sure. the biblical narrative. Yeah, yeah. I, and I've heard people try to make arguments that... Um, that Job may in fact make reference Leviathan uh, and yeah, yeah. to to dinosaurs. I, it's entirely possible, not because sure. I think Job necessarily was a caveman. I right, don't think right, that right. that's at all. Yeah. Um, but in fact, um, uh, it's entirely possible that people dug up dinosaur bones. Yeah. And and knew like this is a big beast. Sure. Uh, and and I don't. I've never seen one. Uh, I'll keep an eye out because here yeah. it is in my neighborhood, uh, and, and I'm, I may even give it a name. Sure. Uh, but uh, where do dinosaurs fit in in, in, in the, the supercontinent? Uh, they fit into the timeline of, of, God's, of God's history, but God hasn't seen fit to make them a part of his redemptive sure. history. Yeah. So 
one of the things that I think is really lovely about the Bible is it includes that which we need to know. It excludes that which God doesn't. For now, sure. there's plenty of stuff I said, I wish God would be more specific oh, about definitely. that. Oh, definitely. For or, sure. And it would be a lot of fun if he had mentioned the dinosaurs. Yeah. Uh, but, but it doesn't in any way undermine the, the authority or the testimony uh, of, of the Bible. Sure. Uh, I, I think it's, if anything, it just, it's, it's a beautiful testimony to just how creative and wonderful God is. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the key, is no matter where they fit in, we can look at the fossil record and say whether the earth is thousands of years old or billions of years old, this is a massive God who has overseen the process from start to the present. That's right. That's right. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's also important that we have some intellectual humility in terms of understanding what exactly science can and cannot do and exactly what the Bible does and does not tell us, so... These are all good points. Um, why did God create the world? That's a good question. Um, it wasn't on accident. We know that in Genesis that God deliberately and specifically speaks a word, let yeah, there be light. For sure. And the process of creation begins with God speaking. Right. Um, so a testimony to the power of his word yeah. to be able to create uh, in the same way that his word creates faith in us today. Sure. Um, Ephesians 2 talks about that. Um, but the crowning point in creation is human beings. Yeah. And we were created uh, to be in relationship with God. Yeah. And so I think you can extrapolate from that that the reason why God created the world was to give us a place to live. Yeah. Um, and, of course, that all went terribly wrong in Genesis. And yet, we read in Ephesians 1 that before the foundations of the earth, Jesus was the plan. Yeah. And so, the story of the Bible is also that God is making for himself a people. Yeah. And so, why was the world created? To give a place for his people to live. And one day, this, this world will pass away and the new will come. Yeah. A new world will be created. Yeah. That's good. Where we, where we will dwell, except sure. this time with God himself yeah. and walk in his presence. Definitely. So the curse reversed, but I would go so far as to say it, it, it's not, oh, we're back to Eden again. It's so much better than Eden. Sure. Namely because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. The redemption that we have and the relationship that we have with God because of Jesus is actually greater than that which Adam and Eve had. Yeah. Would you say that God needed to create us, or? No, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that God needed to create us, uh, because this is where the idea of the Trinity comes in. God can't be lonely, because he's a Trinity of persons. Yeah. And um, and that in that Trinity is is the very love of God that is shared in the Godhead between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I realize we're kind of getting... Sure, yeah, yeah. uh, But nonetheless, um, no, God was perfectly content... Yeah. Uh, with himself. And, and a lot of these questions, not just this one, but a lot of them, you know, these are things that that will all make sense to us when we get to heaven. Yeah. There'll be a lot of ah-haing uh, when we get there. Yeah. I think the fact that, like, God doesn't need us and yet still chose to create us, like you said, uh, speaks a lot to God's love for his people. Um, you know, if, if somebody asks you to come along on a road trip because they need somebody to drive from right. 3 a.m. to 5 a.m., 
then it doesn't feel as good as if somebody just wants you to come on the road yeah. trip because they love you. Right. Um, yeah. Why don't we take uh, just a couple more questions cool. and, um, and we'll go from there. Awesome. Um, how do we see God? How do we see God? Um, there are a couple moments in the Bible where God is seen. Mm-hmm. And it's almost never a good thing. Right. Like when God shows up or His glory is manifested, it, it, it brings about uh, significant difficulty. Right. Um, but uh, so much, I, I think, that what might be helpful is to look at Exodus 33. Mm-hmm. Uh, for how shall it be known that this is verse 16? Uh, yeah, verse 17. I was looking at verse 7, sorry. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, God said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, There is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. Yeah. And so it's even dangerous to see God's hind parts. Yeah. Uh, much less uh, to, to see him uh, face face to face. But I think that God has given us a testimony greater than just being able to see Him. Mm-hmm. We may not be able to see Him, but we can hear Him whenever we want. Yeah. And so if you ever want to hear God speak aloud, simply read the Bible aloud. Yeah, that's good. And, and you can hear God speak. And this was the testimony of the Father to the Son at the transfiguration. Yeah. If you remember, Jesus was transfigured in radiant glory. And God's word was not look at him, but listen to him. Yeah, that's good. And so even if you could see God, yeah. God would rather you listen to him than look at him. Yeah. Uh, so if, if you want to have a relationship with God, uh, the conversation is more important than mm-hmm. the being able to look yeah. uh, at, at one another. That's good. Um. Similarly to that, can Christians hear God talking to them? I bounce, I'd echo what I said in the, yeah. um, is that yes, when you read the Bible aloud. I do think that God sometimes does supernaturally intervene in the life of someone sure. to speak. Yeah. Um, when, when Paul was on his way to take Christians right. from Damascus and bring them back to Jerusalem, God intervened and spoke mm-hmm. in a voice from heaven, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute yeah. me? Um, I think that there are testimonies of places, uh, especially places where the gospel has not made inroads, mm-hmm. where God appears to people in dreams and speaks a word to them. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that's, that's possible. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's not necessary where you have the word of sure. God being proclaimed. Yeah. So if, if you want to hear from God, read your Bible. Yeah, that's a good word. Um, for sure, especially because there can be times when you feel like you hear God speaking to you, um, but it's really 
just your stomach that wants a pizza and not right. God that wants that pizza for you. Yeah, and if somebody came to me and said, God appeared to me in a dream, I mean, I'd probably want to know what they had for dinner before they went Right, there. right, and, uh, yeah. You know, there, there are a couple. I'm not saying that he didn't. No. But, but I would want, I think that the biggest test of it is that is what God said to you audibly or in a dream? Right. Does it line up with what the Bible says? Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, then that wasn't That's God. That's no-go, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, why does God love people? That's a really good question. Yeah, it is. People are really hard. Um, Indeed. But uh, we've got great Bible passages that declare that. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we have full stop, a declaration from Jesus himself, for God so loved the world. But his love is not just, I love you. Yeah. It's... It's he loved the world uh, that he gave. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he gave his only begotten son that those who believe in him. Uh, so his, his love for the world is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And that's, he loves us through Jesus. And Second uh, Peter uh, 3.9 says this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So there's a, a desire that, that all of us would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, not all of us, not all of us will. Yeah. Um, but on that day of judgment, which Peter is referring to, um, no one is going to be able to say, but God, you are so unloving and unkind to me. Right. Um, what it is, is that if you've not believed on Jesus, it means you've rejected God's love for the world. Yeah. So, yes, God loves people, but people are broken, and it's very difficult for us to love one another, uh, but it is supernaturally impossible to love God without His intervention. We love because He first loved us. Yeah. Awesome. Two more questions. Um, first one, why does God allow sickness and pain? Yeah, again, uh, that, that question is phrased rightly. Um, it, it's, it's not that God is the author of sickness and pain, mm-hmm. uh, but yes, God, God allows it. And uh, sickness and pain are the result of sin. Uh, yeah. That was the word that God gave to Eve in the Garden of Eden that uh, childbirth is really going to hurt. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and to the man, you're going to have to work really hard to toil the field, and, and work is going to feel like a burden mm-hmm. to you. Uh, and the only way you were, you know, you, it, echoing Second Thessalonians, you don't work, you don't eat. Right. Um, so that's the result of, of the fall. Uh, but God's not going to allow it to be that way forever. Yeah. Again, there's going to come a day where He wipes away every tear from every eye. There will be no sorrow, no pain, no sickness, no sighing, uh, but all will be made well in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we do catch glimpses of that in our own, in our own lives. Sure. And so even in our own redemption, um, we, we see God's sovereign hand and even our difficult moments and that God is actually working all things out for the good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. And so He can even redeem those awful things in the world. And I would never uh, presume uh, to try to, you know, 
put rose-colored glasses sure. on somebody's tragedy. Yeah. But innumerable times I've heard the testimony of people who have talked about a great tragedy in their life, and yet they see God's redeeming work mm-hmm. in it and where God is in the midst of it and how God has used that to draw them closer to him. Yeah, that's good. Lastly, and this is a fitting final question, I think. What is your story, Dean Pearson, oh. of becoming a Christian? My story of becoming a Christian. Uh, I grew up in a family that didn't go to church. Uh, We didn't even go to church Christmas or Easter. Um, There was a Bible in the house that collected dust. In fact, we really weren't supposed to touch it because it was a family Bible. Uh There was actually a little stand. It was like a little altar to the Bible. Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, at a young age, uh, I had a lot of my extended family who were believers investing Mm -hmm. in me. Uh, providentially, my, my parents did send me uh, to a Christian school when I was pre-K, mm-hmm. and that had an impact on me. Um, but uh, my parents divorced, and so uh, when we were, even when they were married, we lived in an area that I, I, I couldn't go to church if I wanted to. Yeah. It was just, there was no church within walking distance. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I always really enjoyed going to church, and when I was with my grandmother, I'd go to church or... Um, uh, with the, when, when I was with that extended family, we would mm-hmm. go to church. Uh, but it wasn't until the summer after my fifth grade year where I was at a vacation Bible school at a Baptist church. Yep. And, uh, and, and I responded uh, to the Lord Jesus because I think that I had a mistaken understanding of who Jesus was. I, I kind of knew who he was. Yeah. And I understood who he was as Savior, but it wasn't until that moment that, that I understand what it meant to have Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. Yeah. And that those two things can't be parsed out, yeah. to, uh, separated from right, one another. Right, for sure. It, they, they're one and the same. Yeah. And so I actually had a wrong understanding of who Jesus was. And it wasn't until that vacation Bible school that my eyes were open to see Jesus as he really is. And my life has changed forever. Um, I, I began to walk to church uh, on my own. Yeah. Um, we, wow. we had moved, and, and it was still a little bit of a hike, but... Uh, so at about 11 years old, I started walking to church on my own, wow. and um, and uh, my, my family wasn't very discouraging of that, but but it, there was a, a clear disconnect. They yeah. just didn't see sure. see the point. And I didn't shove it down their throats. I right. just kinda, um, but um, but yeah, after that summer uh, of my fifth grade year, uh, life was never the same for me, and. Um, and of course, my Christian walk has been ebb and flow, uh, and there have been great difficulties along the way. Um, um, but I've never looked back. Yeah, I've never looked back. And if Jesus is who He said He was, then His call in my life is the most important thing uh, in my life. And uh, I'd rather be with Him in difficulty than without Him in pleasure. Yeah, that's good. Well, thank you so much for answering our questions, and uh, I certainly appreciate it. I know our students do as well, so it's great to yeah. get to sit up well, Let's have a word of prayer before kick we Kick it around with you, for sure. Uh, Lord, we do pray for our confirmands, uh, Lord, that you would uh, indeed confirm their faith, Lord, that you would send your spirit to, to speak to them, Lord, uh, cultivate in them a, a love for your word, uh, for your church, uh, for one another. Uh, but above all, uh, as we heard in the sermon this morning, uh, that they would want to want you, uh, 
Lord, that you would do that great work uh, in their lives. And Lord, that those of us uh, who are witnessing their uh, confirming their faith, that we would pray for them and, uh, Lord, support them uh, in this race that is set before us. And like those who are rooting for us in heaven, that those of us here on earth might root for them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Tucker. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.